Hello, and welcome to this week's Ethicast. I'm Arti Maharaj, Vice President at Ethisphere, and I am so thrilled to be introducing two leaders from Hush Blackwell. A bit of background on the Ethisphere and Hush Blackwell relationship. As part of our ongoing work to expand our thought leadership and include diverse perspectives from across the industry, Ethisphere and Hush Blackwell continuously partner together to develop industry-focused thought leadership resources and collaborate on identifying and codifying best practices in key focus areas. Some of our work together include a recent Ethicast featuring Catherine Hannaway, Chair at Hush Blackwell, and sessions from the 2023 Global Ethics Summit, which also included perspectives from industry leaders at Hush Blackwell. We'll be sure to share those links to these expert insights in the description. With that, in today's episode, I'm pleased to welcome to the Ethicast stage Bob Romashko, partner at Hush Blackwell, and his colleague Rebecca Verdeck, senior associate at Hush Blackwell. In this conversation, Bob and Rebecca will share their expert insights on the topic of tax as it relates to governance, transparency in ESG, compliance, and enforcement. So a lot to unpack today, but I'd like to hand it over to Rebecca to start the conversation. Thanks, Artie, and it's a pleasure to be here today. My name is Rebecca Furdeck, and I'm a senior associate in Hush Blackwell's Milwaukee office, where I focus on a mix of civil litigation and white-collar internal investigations issues. And I'm Bob Ramashko. Um, I'm the tax practice group leader here at Hush Blackwell. Um, I have experience both in government. Um, I worked for the U.S. Internal Revenue Service for about six years. And in private practice, I advise clients on tax compliance and litigate civil and criminal tax matters. Well, let's uh, dive right into it. Um, as already mentioned, we're going to be talking about tax compliance issues today, including transparency topics and enforcement. Um, so jumping right into compliance fairly broadly, uh, one general trend we've been seeing in recent years has been the expanded role and responsibilities of the compliance officers and professionals. And in many instances, uh, compliance leaders are increasingly taking a cross-functional approach to help solve their compliance issues. Um, in your experience, Bob, both in government or private practice, what role does compliance play with respect to corporate tax issues? And why should those issues remain top of mind for compliance leaders? Sure. And, you know, I, I want to say at the outset that, you know, when we're speaking in generalizations here, obviously that doesn't apply to every company or, um, you know, every professional. But in my experience, tax often remains siloed in a way that most other um, aspects of a company don't necessarily um, remain even when you're engaged in a sort of cross-functional um, you know, compliance program or approach to reporting or anything else. Um, and that's, you know, I think the reason for that is I, to give you an example, I had a client who reached out with a tax question, an executive who wasn't part of the tax department. And I gave him an answer and he wrote back and said, Thank you, because every time someone throws around terms like depreciation or amortization, um, my vision gets blurry and I hear my heart pounding in my ears and I can't think anymore. Um, and I think to an extent, um, you know, tax sort of sits off to the side in a lot of places and, you know, is passively fed numbers or feeds numbers back to the rest of management. Um, but the fact is tax touches on every aspect of what you're 
organization does. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty much everything you know you do has an effect. You know, it shows up somewhere on a tax return. You can point to it. Um, and in a very large organization, it may be that there's simply too much for one person to understand within an org chart of you know dozens, if not more subsidiaries or flow-through entities or whatever else. Um, but it's important to have an overall picture of what's going on. And I think important for um, you know compliance professionals to make sure that what tax is doing is aligning with the company's other goals. And that your, your question was, so what have I seen? And I'm giving that um, preface of you know why I think it's important. And, and what I've seen is in a lot of companies it's not integrated the way everything else is. Um, to an extent, and different companies and different organizations are better or worse at it than others. But you know, to an extent, I think it's an area where people could be doing a little more. And it's hard because most people who aren't in tax don't want to be in tax. <laughs> their, their eyes are glazing over at the depreciation. Board. Exactly. Exactly. When they get an audit notice, they hand it off to the tax department <laughs> and really hope that it goes away and they never hear about See it. See it again or hear about it again, right? Exactly. But it's it's important to keep an eye on because it affects every aspect of a company's business. And increasingly, I would say it's a matter of public, either regulatory or you know shareholder or other stakeholder interest. Mm -hmm. So you know, we first approach the issue in terms of why a compliance leader should have tax top of mind. What are the obligations of really all the different non-tax executives in a company with respect to its taxes? And what sure. steps can you take to sort of align governance, business, and tax policy for those executives? Sure. And I'm going to throw out a couple of the obvious things is maybe we don't need to talk about them other than mention that they're out there, right? And it, it, maybe not a couple, maybe just one, but that obviously any public company is going to have an audit committee and that audit committee has defined roles with respect to financial reporting and necessarily tax as well. Mm -hmm. um, that That's obviously out there. I won't um, get into the details of that, but I don't want to pretend that doesn't exist either. Um, beyond that, I think something people need to keep in mind is the notwithstanding that someone may not really be part of the tax function, if they have a supervisory role over that function, or they have, um, you know, a role in deciding what gets paid and what doesn't, they potentially have a personal stake in um, the company's tax reporting. Anyway, I mean, to give two examples, one, you know, I've had clients who um, sort of passively let people in their accounting function handle tax stuff, um, but ultimately an executive needed to sign, you know, a submission to a state and an executive did without really reading it. And years later, it turned out that the information in it was false. It wasn't the executive's fault. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it was the employee who filled it out's fault, mm -hmm. but it became a problem and the executive signature is all over it under penalties of perjury. Yeah. Um, I, it should go without saying, but it probably doesn't that, you know, if you're signing something like that, that's going to be submitted to a taxing authority, you need to um, be ready to take responsibility for it. But the other place that I would suggest is, you know, in the U.S. at least, um, if employment taxes aren't paid properly, executives 
and frankly, people who have control over bank accounts, even if they're not executives, can be held personally liable for the unpaid taxes. And so, you know, you're really doing yourself a disservice if you're in a role that, you know, you have control over money or you have ultimate oversight over the tax folks and you're just sort of trusting them to do their own job. Not that they can't do their own job, of course. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, along those lines of tax being important to really all the executive functions of a company, what should a company's broader approach to tax transparency be? Sure. And so that's, this is kind of an evolving area, right? Um, I mean, this is, and I, I say this as someone who's been in the space for about 15 years. And, you know, my first instinct on tax transparency when it started becoming a bigger thing was, well, no, we don't want anyone to know anything about what we're doing. You know, this is all secret. Um, but that's probably not really the right approach for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, in you know EU countries, for example, there's more public reporting required um, now than there used to be, um, country by country reporting particularly. Um, but two, it's becoming an increasing um, uh, issue for shareholders and for other public disclosures. You see, you know, uh, in the U.S., um, Congress holding hearings about companies that are, you know, paying two percent effective tax rates or um, uh, things like that. Um, you also see um, in some companies shareholder initiatives to, you know, pass resolutions that the company is not going to take unreasonable steps to reduce its tax burden. Um, and, and so those are sort of danger points that make you go, okay, maybe we want to be transparent. But I think there's another area people miss that transparency can also be an incredible opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a couple of ways you can be reducing tax burdens, right? Um, one, you can be, for lack of a better word, taking advantage of things that maybe you wouldn't want people to know about, like you know, setting up complicated structures between multiple countries and right. licensing your IP to them. Um, and maybe on those, you would prefer to keep them quiet. But a lot of things in tax laws are in there to incentivize behavior that, you know, the government um, and the public would generally consider to be good. Um, and if you're paying a reduced tax rate because you invested, you know, millions and millions of dollars into putting solar panels on all of your plants or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that results in an effective tax rate of 5% or whatever. You, you should be shouting that from the rooftops if it aligns with, you know, the plan you have for the company and your public image. Um, and I think people sometimes fail to capitalize on that opportunity. Um, I guess on the theme of one hand, not necessarily talking to the other, uh, I was advising a client on a very large donation to a, um, a nonprofit, um, a corporation on a very large donation to a nonprofit. And the corporation happened to be based in um, the UK, although they were, this was part of their US operation. And I mentioned, you know, oh, there's more ESG reporting required in Europe. Um, you should make sure the people who do that know about this because mm -hmm. this, you know, I've looked at your other reports and frankly, this will probably get, you know, included. And he's like, oh gosh, thanks for mentioning that. It never once occurred to me to do that. And, 
you know, I, I suggested earlier in this um, that compliance officers should be sure to oversee tax, but it works both ways. Mm-hmm. Tax also needs to break out of its silo a little bit and make sure they're talking to compliance and reporting functions as well. Mm-hmm. Well, those foreign issues are interesting. So with with respect to these multinational companies, are there advantages to varying your approach to tax transparency among jurisdictions? Or is a company well advised to ensure or at least start with the principle of uniformity generally? Yeah. And there's no one size fits all answer to that question. And of course, it depends a little bit on what you're, you know, what's most important to you. Mm-hmm. But I would suggest that multinationals take a real hard look at the idea that if we're going to have to disclose things in one country, maybe we should just do it in all of them. Um, Because I think it creates as a shareholder, um, you know, if you can go read the country by country reporting in the EU Mm -hmm. and see the level of information that's included in that, and then you go look at the U.S. operations annual report, and there's, you know, it, the only tax information is the line that says taxes paid on the, you know, financial. Um, that may not be, you know, you may fairly have questions of, well, why can't I have this information here too? Right. Um, yeah, it's not legally required, but I think it's increasingly a good idea, particularly okay. if you are aligning your approach to tax with your, you know, approach to other issues. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of another recent trend uh, within transparency, um, ESG is becoming an increasing focus for many companies. Uh, as many companies increasingly consider this issue, how can a company best leverage its what its tax department might already be doing for purposes of its ESG reporting processes? Sure. And, you know, like I said before, a lot of things are in the tax code or tax codes of various countries to incentivize certain behavior. Um, you know, just last year in the U.S., the this year in the U.S., um, the Inflation Reduction Act passed, um, and it contained a ton of green tax credits, right, for renewable energy development and things like that. Um, you know, if a company is a developer of, you know, solar plants, they're probably on top of that issue. Right. But if a company is a manufacturer that decides to, say, you know, put solar panels on all of its facilities, it, maybe it's not, right? Mm-hmm. And there, okay, tax is going to say, hey, we had this huge capital expenditure on solar panels. We understand what to do to claim the credit. Right. But is that going into the company's ESG reporting? Because um, it, it should be, right? That's mm-hmm. just, it's low-hanging fruit. And I think in certain circumstances, organizations are not necessarily um, taking advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Well, in taking advantage of it, this kind of brings us back to the issue of compliance being involved with tax issues. Um, so how, when we look at tax transparency generally, as well as ESG, how can compliance leaders help promote tax transparency within their organizations? Sure. And I think, you know, it, it does all go back to communication. It's going to start to sound like I'm beating a dead <laughs> horse here. But, um, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of understanding, hey, you're taxing, you know, your tax department, your tax director um, is a stakeholder and is someone that you need to be involving in these conversations. And look, mm-hmm. that there can be, I think, significant advantages to that, too, from both a financial and a public relations perspective. Um, you had asked about um, uh, 
tax and ESG, and I gave you the answer of, hey, you, you know, want to make sure you're reporting these things properly. But it goes the other way, too. If you involve tax early on and say, hey, our goals, you know, our corporate, you know, not mission, but, you know, our social and environmental goals are to do X, Y, and Z, tax may be able to say, hey, if you do X this way, there's a tax advantage to doing it. And, you know, that can affect how you go about getting to the endpoints you want to reach to, want to reach. Okay. Well, uh, interesting stuff. Um, so switching to one kind of final topic regarding compliance, really any discussion of compliance is necessarily going to also involve some discussion of enforcement. Um, so I was curious in your practice, if you have been seeing any particular trends recently in IRS enforcement, or if there are other key IRS enforcement priorities that are really top of mind for you on a regular basis. Sure, and and we are, um, and it's no secret that the IRS received a huge chunk of funding to try and both add more people to enforcement. Um, you're hearing numbers like 87,000 agents, which mm -hmm. are, are fictional, but it, it's a significant number. Um, but also to better target it towards areas where they're going to find more to adjust and more revenue to collect. Um, basically, that's a bigger part of the gap between what should have been reported and what has been reported. Um, and that's including, they're looking at far more closely at issues, um, particularly involving international organizations, whether it's corporations or partnerships, um, and cross-border issues in terms of, you know, have you been offshoring certain assets or IP? Can we better, we being the IRS here, can we better, um, uh, you know, go after that and determine whether there's actually substance to what you're doing and, you know, or are you underpaying your taxes? Um, so there, there has already been more enforcement on that. I've seen initial audit notices that have a lot more questions designed to get at those particular issues. Um, but I expect that to ramp up more. And that's another reason to consider you know, hey, as we are, um, you know, considering what our environmental, social, and governance goals are, do our tax, you know, does our tax um, policy internally line up with that? Mm -hmm. And if not, you know, maybe it should. Um, but certainly, no one should be caught unawares when it, if it doesn't. Um, something that should have been considered long before there's an audit notice. Mm -hmm. Well, perhaps you just answered this question by saying folks should take a look at their policies, but are there any other ways that um, these enforcement risks can be proactively mitigated by governments, transparency, oversight type policies? Yeah, and I, I think the answer to that is sometimes, you know, look, in a corporation, sometimes tax is viewed as a cost center, naturally, mm -hmm. because you're, for the most part, not getting money back from the government, you're giving it to them. Um, and everyone would like to pay as little as possible. But by the same token, I think that increasingly there needs to be a question of, well, how are we going about that? Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting that a lot of tax issues are moral issues, right? But um, to an extent, you know, it may be that you don't necessarily want to take every step you could to get to the absolute lowest dollar amount. I mean, if you're thinking, oh, we can, I, this is going to sound too obvious, right? But if we can create a um, um, offshore, you know, subsidiary in Guernsey, um, we could lower our tax burden. Someone may want to say, well, does that fit with the 
um, the image isn't the right word, um, but the ethic that we mm-hmm. um, are holding ourselves to on other grounds. And if it doesn't, then maybe it's not worth, you know, the marginal savings to sort of compromise your overall vision. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for all the great insights today and the great conversation. Um, I just want to turn it back to Artie for any closing remarks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bob and Rebecca, for joining us and sharing your insights on this topic. I took some notes here, and in terms of takeaways as it relates to compliance, the role of the compliance leader has expanded, and tax touches on every aspect of what the organization does. That's one. Two, something to keep in mind, uh, executives and business leaders should be integrated into the tax process. Um, As there's a level of personal liability and risk that exists, once an executive signs off on those documents and submitted it to, um, and sorry, it is submitted to the tax authority. To your example, Bob, uh, those issues can resurface in five uh, or 10 years, and that executive will need to speak to signing off documents that may contain incorrect information. Um, And three, tax transparency, multinationals should take a hard look um, at if they disclose in one country, then they should employ a unified approach and do the same in other countries. So these sort of alignment promotes tax transparency and also allows function like compliance to work better with the accounting and tax folks internally. With that, once again, you just heard from Bob Romashko, partner at Hush Blackwell, and his colleague, Rebecca Ferdak, senior associate. Thank you both so much for joining us on this week's Ethicast. Thank you, Artie. Thank you.